This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadas's excellent talks. About four years, I'd say. Three or four years. I don't know the exact amount of time. Uh, there's been two different ones. I, I had one co- many years ago called the Lavender Hour uh, with a girl that I was living with, Natasha, a comedian I was living with. And then um, the newest one I have is called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast. What are you calling yours? Um, I don't know. Uh, but we usually wait till people get out of jail and then we... we, we uh... We, we invite them for the podcast. Oh, really? That's a great <laughs> idea for a podcast. People interview people fresh out of jail. Well, Krishna Das interviews people fresh out of jail. The jail of worldly life. Uh, yeah, that's the jail we're talking about. Yeah. The jail of samsara. Yeah. The ocean of worldly existence. Yeah. Well, you know, when I first, many, many years ago, heard those ideas, uh, they're pretty pretty it's a downer when you hear it the first time you think what is why would anybody say this world is a jail i don't understand that idea why do they say the world's a jail well it goes back i mean it doesn't go back to but the clearest teaching about that is is the buddha he came out of the jungle and he said people no matter what you do no matter what you have no matter what you get no matter how much of it you get There'll always be some suffering involved, mm. and the way, and and there is the possibility of transcending suffering, but it involves accepting that it's real in the first place. Mm. If you don't accept that you are suffering, if you don't want to look at it, then there's no possibility of ever, you know, 
working it out and, and getting beyond it. You know, uh, I love hearing you say that because at these retreats, what has happened to me, I've been, I've been to, I went to the last one and got to listen to you do Kirtan at night. And so what ends up happening to me is I get horribly stoned and I come and start singing the Kirtan and, uh, both times I am met fairly quickly with this fear inside of me that is always, I think right there under the surface, but somehow the combination of super powerful marijuana and the chanting summons this thing up to the surface Mm -hmm. and it is horrible, horrible. And so, and it seems impenetrable. Mm -hmm. It seems that there's no way out of this. It's, it's like the best way I can think to describe is it's like looking at a, um, rock face Mm -hmm. that goes up and up and up and up is insurmountable. You're certainly Mm -hmm. not going to knock it down. Mm -hmm. It really does seem impossible to get beyond that. That's your mind. And uh, when you smoke, when you when you do those kind of chemicals, um, in fact, what's happening is you're weakening your will. You're taking strength from your inner will to actually digest that fear. Mm. And it, a lot of people, uh, Maharaji, we used to smoke all the time. Maharaji said, you know, don't smoke. It, it's not good for your health, and it, if it if it brought you to God, I put you in a room full of them. We'd all smoke together. Oh wow! So he was very clear about that. On the other hand, when it came to acid, he said he called it the yogi medicine, and he said it brings you into the room with Christ, mm. but you can't stay. Mm. So the only way to stay, he said, is love, not Ill love, real love, unconditional love, and so at some point in one's life one gets tired of going in and out up and down getting thrown out of the kingdom of heaven again and again and one says okay fuck it I'm going to deal with this mm-hmm. and then you kind of have to just kind of look at your life and see what's helpful in the long run and what's not helpful so at some point I had to stop doing drugs because I couldn't stand coming down anymore mm-hmm. it got too painful and I saw if I kept catapulting myself into outer space and then crashing down onto the earth, you know, if I stopped doing that, I I understood intuitively that the plateau of my consciousness would rise gradually, not dramatically, not like Hollywood, but right. gradually over time, I wouldn't go so low. Right. And that's kind of the way it worked. It's not a good and evil thing. It's not a should or shouldn't. It's just each person has to decide what works for them. But when you do, uh, when you like, when I smoked dope, my mind ate me alive. Yes. And I finally just had to stop because I couldn't stand it anymore. Well, is that now? See, this is um, something that I've wondered about, and uh, you know, I've obviously have stoner friends, and we talk about this, the thing that happens from time to time where you get pulled into the deep water by your mind when you mm-hmm. get stoned mm-hmm. the question is is it shining a light on something that you need to see or is it just a delusional paranoia that doesn't even exist in there at all i think it's a little bit of both i think uh, if it wasn't there at all you wouldn't see it 
mm. period. I think it changes your relationship to what's already there. And you experience it in a different way. You experience your thoughts and emotions in a different way without the, uh, the kind of the uh, ego strength of saying, oh, I'm not, who cares? Uh, and you don't let it come. When you do those drugs, you lose the ability to do that. And you also lose the ability to digest it and, uh. and, and, and ultimately transcend it. Right. Because when you come out of it, you only have a kind of remnant of exactly. what happened, a brief yeah. flickering idea of what happened, but you definitely don't hold on to it. And I, I hate to say this, but eventually you'll look at those moments when you've come back as if you've got a wound in your side. Mm. It's more like a wound that takes time to heal because you've wounded yourself and your will. You know, will is really misunderstood. People say, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. well, without will, we have nothing. You want that apple? The hand is raising itself. It's moving. It's yes. grabbing the apple. It's putting. This is all your will. Right. If you want things, you need will. And if you, if we do things that uh, paralyze our will, we're, we're screwed. I, I was sitting in the jungle with a, a yogi who was 163 years old at the time. And he looked at me and he said, ah. he said, he said ah, yeah. he's like looking at me, you, you need icha shakti, which means willpower. Icha means desire, shakti is power, strength. So icha shakti means you need willpower. And I swear to you, my first thought was, willpower? What do I need that for? Right. And then he looked at me again because he could tell me, read my thoughts. And he showed me, he did something, and he showed me inside myself what he was seeing. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, shit. What was he seeing? So he saw somebody who was shackling himself at every step of the way, mm -hmm. crippling himself in life every step of the way, every day, not going after what he wanted in life, not really going after this or that, not not copying to the fact that he had desires, not copying to the fact that he wanted this and wanted yeah. that, was trying to get around it the easy way by slipping around the side, which is impossible. He saw that, and he showed me what that looked like, and it, was, it changed my life. Why were you shackling yourself? Why did you want it? Why? Why? Regular old-fashioned neurosis, you know. This is what I was taught. My parents, my their parents, everybody. You know, I just was neurotic. I was afraid. I was... I, I had a lot of self-hatred. I had a lot of insecurity. I, I didn't know if I was loved by women and in relationships and people, you know, just the usual stuff that everybody has. Yeah. And it was. And the other thing I saw, by the way, at that moment was that there's only one life. There isn't spiritual life and worldly life. Mm. That will that I was not using, that I was crippling applied equally to meditation, chanting, and all that stuff. It's the same me that I'm crippling. So if I couldn't go after this stuff, I wasn't going to get that stuff either. Right. Right. And then I saw, oh, you know. And, you know, that moment was a big moment that led to me ultimately starting to sing with people again in the way I'm doing it now. So you had stopped. I hadn't started after India. This is in, still in the period before I started singing with people again. After I came back from India, after Maharaji died, after I went through, you know, despair and torture and yes. all that stuff for all your years. So many years. 
this was a big awakening moment for recognizing that I I had to get my shit together or it wasn't going to come together. Right. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that you have to work. Nobody, people don't want to hear, you know, for example, the, uh, the four regulative principles that the Hare Krishnas talk about. Have you ever heard about this? Don't eat meat. Don't have sex. Uh Don't gamble and don't do drugs. These Uh are, this is advice that is given. And I think about that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with Raghu about Kundalini and the, uh, the idea of this Kundalini energy being blocked and how when you are, it's how perhaps those types of things are blocking the flow of that energy. Maybe, maybe. Um, ISKCON is a particular path. Every path has its rules and regulations in order to follow that path and in order to carry the juice that that path offers. Uh, There are other paths that think about things differently. Yes. You oh, know, yeah. Sure. Tibetans eat meat. Yep. They make kids. Yep. And they do all kinds of things. You can't say that they're not on the path. So, all these things are open to discussion, and and all the things they're all they're all part of a path. If you're on that path, then you need to follow those rules. But there are other paths, other ways of looking at it and approaching the same or approaching the goal of life that that don't include those kind of things that are much less. Uh, traditionally uh, life, worldly life negating. They're less negating about daily life. Right. That's a very renunciate type of path. And it's for people who are are drawn to that. Do you consider yourself to be a renunciate? God forbid, (laughs) so to speak. No, no, I thought I was going to be a monk. When I went to India, I was celibate. I became celibate, and I was planning to stay celibate, and I was also planning to stay in India. The result was that I had so much shakti that I kind of walked like a robot. I couldn't move. I mean, I was, because I had, it was like trying to shit, it was like an elephant, like a a mouse trying to shit out an elephant. (laughs) It ain't going to happen. You know, I had so much energy, and it was so blocked. What was it blocked from? My desires, who the things I want in life. You can't pretend you don't want these things. Right. You can, in at certain times, you can, uh, and certain people can override those desires and work with them in another way, like like Iskand, like the Hare Krishna sure. people. Whether it's successful for everybody, it's never successful for everybody, no matter what path you're on. But that's one way of dealing with them. No. Right, and there's another way of dealing with them, and this is what Maharaji sent me back into to America. He said, "You have attachment there. Go back." Mm. And I had to deal with my life and all the unfinished and un, undigested emotions and emotional pain and the betrayals and the hurts from childhood and on and on. You have to; this, these things have to be looked at. They have to be let go of, not pushed away. Pushing away is holding on. They right. have to be released, and you can't release them unless you pay attention. How does kirtan and chanting help with this release? It helps with the release. Does it? I had no idea. No, <laughs> no really, it, it it's uh, doing a practice is the only way that you can get the leverage to let go of something. Because you're learning 
you're training yourself to sit more deeply in yourself. Mm-hmm. And so those things that happen on the surface of your mental and emotional world, thoughts and emotions and stuff like that, when you're sitting more deeply in yourself, they don't grab you the same way or grab you for as long. You don't get any vote as to what's coming. Right. You know, you know, you can't tell me that you can program what thoughts are going to come through your head. Nope. What you can do, what we have, the only moment of freedom that we have is in that moment when we notice what's going on, what happens? Do we react? We're already reacting. Let's say we're already reacting, yeah. right? Because that's probably what's going to happen. So at that moment, you notice you're reacting. What, are your, what, what can you do? Usually very little at that moment, which is why you train when you're not in a storm. Right. Okay, yeah, I get that. And then that training carries through. That The emotion comes through, but it doesn't grab you as, for as long or as deeply. It's not that you're doing anything at that moment. It's just that the training has created a deeper place for you to be sitting. And so it's not. But this is something that's very subtle, you know, and it's hard because it's subtle. It doesn't pay off right away. Right. The payoff right away is the joy of the singing. Yes. That's the payoff. You get you get with a group of people, you start singing, you have a good time, you forget your problems, you you enter a, a lighter space, and that's great. That's the payoff. Then you go home, and you, you start dealing with life again. The fact that you spent two hours chanting definitely has an effect on how you meet life after that, but it's... It's not like you can push a button and change everything. It's a gr- the real changes take time. I have a question. I have a question for you, on behalf of Krishna Das. Okay. You, we're at a retreat, everybody, and uh, in the midst of this retreat, we've been telling stories about our guru, Nimkaroli Baba Maharaji, and I wrote to Duncan. And I said, gee, how did you like the, uh, this panel where we're all telling stories and so on about Maharaji? And Duncan wrote back and said, you know, I have a very difficult time listening to your, you guys' stories about Maharaji. Connecting. Connecting. So can you explain what you're talking about? Yeah, well... I my experience with Maharaji has only been from the energy that comes out of you guys. That's it. So when you're singing and also you you all I don't know what you what you would even call you guys. I don't know there's no there isn't a name for it, but the satsang I guess is the name for it. So there's a very specific loving, sweet, forgiving, empathetic, uh compassionate energy that seems to come out of everyone and it's very unique and whenever i get around it it's overwhelming in a in a beautiful way so i am whenever when i come to these retreats one of my big hang-ups is dealing with everyone being so kind to me and i <laughs> and it's hard it's hard and and to and i and it's like you want to put your eyes down you do, you want to turn your back to it for some reason that's my thing so that's that's my connection with maharaji that person is is in the same way when you're like you know when you so you find a rescue dog you don't know who the previous owner was 
but you know he was an asshole because the dog, every time you start putting your belt on, flinches and goes into the corner. So you're like, oh, the thumbprint of that dog owner is on that dog, and he was a bastard. And in the same way, when you come into contact with you guys, you see, oh, oh, I, I don't know who this person was, except through the way every single one of you is not only your own person. You're not like every each of you has your own completely your own personality. Some of you are kind of um, irascible and like uh, in a hilarious way. Some of you are like Ramdas, just like this like love beam. Some of you are like it's just all different, but underneath it all is this identical sense. So that's how I know Maharaji. But the stories. I don't know. It's just tough for me. I, I like hearing about it, but it, I don't know. It's just hard for me to connect with the stories of of, of being around him. I, maybe I'm jealous. Maybe I'm player hating because I because I don't get to experience that, you know, the, person to person. So far, yeah. So that's my answer. Interesting. Because I, I hear that a lot in one form or another because people, I I sing with people and do workshops with people who many of them have never met Maharaji and they say, well, what, you know, what can I do? You know, I haven't met him. Well, I'll never meet him. He's not here. But I went to India and met him and become totally attached to him. Yes. And then he died. Mm. And there's something in me died. Mm. Or I thought it did. I lived as if it had died. Mm. Because I would never see him again. I would never feel like that again. And uh, so was the sense, you know. Uh, I wasn't going to kill myself, uh, but... I also just was resigned to a life of quiet despair. Yeah. You know. And um and it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then I a couple of things happened and uh, they helped me a lot, but one thing I was standing in my room in New York and uh I realized if I did not sing with people I would never be able to clean out the dark corners of my own heart. And behind that was the understanding that that was the only thing that was causing me suffering. It wasn't the fact that he mm. left. It was the fact that these all these issues in my own heart. All right. And that was what was coming. And the only method given to me to, to deal with that was chanting. And I had to be with people. This was all like a flash I got, and, and it took me a while to cop to it because I didn't want to. Wow. Know. So the point was that, so now I'm, I've been chanting for almost 20 years since that day, and um, less of me still believes the old stuff than there was before. Mm. Those thoughts about being... I've been having lost him, never knowing what it's like, never finding love, never being. Those thoughts arise almost never. 
when they do it's a pain in the ass but they don't arise the way they used to arise and that's what we're talking about practice so I and and here's another thing like sometimes people will bring their babies to meet me and these babies have grown up have been gone through the nine months and been born listening to my chanting in yeah. CDs and they look at me and they hear my voice half of them freak beyond belief wow that that huge voice that was everywhere even in the womb you know yeah is, is like coming out of this little mouth and the other half come grab me and hold oh me. you know it's extraordinary so it's kind of like that you know you you've never met somebody that that loved like that that could let you love like that right and so you hear about it and it's like you want it, but at the same time, ah, fuck it, nah, 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 you know, it can't be. I don't, I don't want to go. That's it. Yeah, it's skepticism. I'm glad you you said it because <laughs> that is truly what it is. I just want to be a jerk. Well, there is skepticism see, there. You have a way to go because you have to get to cynicism, <laughs> and then okay, <laughs> yeah, you're still a skepticism. It's no problem. But it, it is skepticism. But it is. But it also is a little bit of of jealousy. It's also a little bit of like, well, I mean. I don't get to meet him in in that way. So, but I, isn't it part of the yoga or the having a guru is telling stories of him? Isn't it that is, sure? It is, yeah. And and the the him you think you're not meeting, you obviously already know who that is. Yeah, you know, I think he would. I, I'm pretty sure he would have thrown me out right. I would have been one of the ones oh, yeah, where sure. he's like out. He, he, he only sees the, us now. <laughs> um, I I also on a on a side note, um, and I'm sure you you do to get this all the time. But when I after my mom died, we went to her um, this house that she has on a, on a little island where she uh, spent many of her last months. And your CD was there, and she'd been listening to you. And I I I was so wonderful because it was like there I was able to listen to you. You know, in in the house after she wasn't, it was just beautiful. We listen. I listened to you nonstop for for that week. I mean, you have. I'm certainly one of the people who've been profoundly impacted by you. I've been listening to you for, oh God, probably twenty. I don't know, fifteen years for so long. So, um, that being said, um, oh wait, you got to tell the story. You got to tell the story. I mean, you told it the, yesterday. It's just of going because you're talking about Maharaji and the stories yes, about him. You have a story about Ramdas that will be a story that you'll be telling other people. When you took me to his house, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, Raghu. Right after my mom passed away, um, sort of surprised me at, at the spring retreat by. Everyone was going up on the vault. I don't remember what they were doing. Some field trip. It was with Roshi Joan Halifax. And yeah. Ramdas. And then he's like, don't, you're not going on that. We're going, we're going to Ramdas's house. And, you know, I, this is, I was truly heartbroken at the time. And, uh, yeah, we, we, um, we got there and, you know, suddenly I'm swimming in the swimming pool with Ramdas and, uh, Roshi Joan Halifax and she's, She's carrying him around like a baby. Watsu. And they're laughing. Yeah, Watsu, but he's laughing and they're playing. And, you know, he looks at me and uh, this is, you know, this is the 
podcast last night. To me, this was the summation of everything that you guys are putting out there. But, you know, we're in this beautiful pool in Hawaii, and it's like the energy is so light. There's no, like, heavy anything going on here. It's just pure playfulness in the moment. And he looks at me, and he goes, big smile and that ah, I'm like that's where I want to be because when I get to Hawaii I'm enjoying it but I'll tell you if I'm snorkeling 60% of the time thinking about getting bitten by a shark <laughs> do you know that's what life's like man we're, we're looking for happiness we're looking for happiness but 60 90% of the time we're waiting to get stabbed in the back that's right yeah and if you don't mind can we bring it back to um could you tell that story about that you told about uh, the Ramakrishna, the story about how each chant is a seat? Oh, sure. Yeah. Ramakrishna was a great saint who lived in the 1800s. He left the body in 1886, I think, or something like that. And he described the way that chanting, he was talking about the chanting practice, particular at the time, chanting of what they call the names of God. And he said that every one of these names carries energy and power and that even though you may not experience that power at the time of the practice while you're doing the practice sooner or later when the causes and conditions arise those names which are seeds will take root and grow and he said that you could say that each repetition of the name is like a seed that gets thrown into the wind and it lands, they land on the roof of an old house in the Indian countryside, right? And in those days, the roofs, if they were made by tile, they weren't, they were tile that was hardened in the sun, not in a kiln. And so over time and seasons and rain and heat and sun, those tiles break down and get soft. And that point, those seeds start to root, the roots start to grow. They grow, they grow, and they destroy the roof of the mm. house. And they keep growing, and they destroy the house. Ramakrishna said, that house is who we think we are. Mm. Our conventional sense of self, me. And that's destroyed. And, and that house is temporary. That house was created from certain causes and conditions. Built a house with materials, built it a certain way, and now... Time is taking it apart. Mm. And once it's gone, the, the inside and the outside are no longer inside and outside. There's just open space, oneness. Mm. So our sense of self, of being separate, of being me and that person being them, is what slowly destroyed the sense of separate self, which is temporary and itself an effect of certain causes and conditions is destroyed. The separateness, the sense of separateness. There is no separateness, but mm. we believe there is. And so that belief is destroyed, just like the house in the jungle. Wow. Through the repetition of the name. That is so cool. That is the coolest explanation I've ever heard for it. One of the reasons it's so cool is because, you know what, it ain't about me. He doesn't say, oh, you'll feel this, you'll feel that, you'll feel that, then you'll have this experience. Mm. He never says that. Mm. Why? Because it isn't about that. Right. It's about what is what is dissolving in us, you know? The, the, 
that's well it's incredibly that 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 is a kind of a scary idea that it's kind of scary because we're identified with me yes me doesn't want to die me doesn't want to be destroyed yes but me is not even when you think you're me you're still your true self you just think you're you yes but there you believe you're you but there there is something why there is something scary about it. Sure. For, of yeah, course. Yes. Absolutely. So that's a real thing because when, you know, anytime that I've ever practiced mm-hmm. for any length of time, mm-hmm. the few rare times that's happened, mm-hmm. I will hit a point mm-hmm. where it's scary, right. where it's like, oh, shit, man, this is changing me and I don't want, necessarily want right. to change. You're not. You're the kind of practice you're doing is obviously you're using your will to do a certain practice in a certain way. There's a tension there. There's a a, a desire to accomplish something, yes. experience something. Yes. So you're not touching. See, the ha- the space in the house and outside of the house is bliss. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> it's not nothing. Right. It's love. Right. It's bliss. It's truth. It's ecstasy. It's oneness. Right. It's not a negative. So it's just the fear in itself that prevents us from feeling that because me doesn't want me wants to hang on to stuff. In order to get that bliss, me has to learn to let go. How do you learn to let go? You practice. Every time we do, we chant, we're practicing letting go. Right. We're singing, and as soon as we notice we're not paying attention, we come back a billion times in, in an hour. Right. We're training ourselves to let go. And that training carries over to the next day and the next day and the next day. And the the letting go, it's there's this huge it seems like there's a huge component of listening in it too. You're your awareness listening sure because you're listening to the the way the kir- a kirtan works because maybe some people listening don't know mm-hmm. you there's an i don't know what the names for the pattern is but there's a call and response call and response that's it and you listen to the call and then you respond to it but in the listening your mind will wander and in the response your mind will wander and it so it sort of functions as a it's an anchor for you you right. keep coming back to it and it's it's not so much that you have to use force to come back. It's just like when a boat drops an anchor down in the water. When the wind blows it, there's a point where it's just not going to go past a certain point because it's mm. anchored. Hmm. So as you keep doing these practices, you're anchoring to your true self, your deeper presence, your own true nature. And so you'll go away, but you won't go that far. It's not that you have to stop yourself and like... Stop thinking and come back. By the time you notice hmm. your thinking, you're already back. Right. And then at that point, you rededicate yourself to paying attention. And then that might last a billionth of a second, and then you're gone again. Every time it happens, it, it, whether we experience it or not that way, it, it, it creates another neural pathway, so to speak, in the brain mm. that gets deeper and deeper and deeper and holds us more deeply in ourselves as time goes on would you mind talking a little bit about what your personal practice is what what? well i try to wake up every day (laughs) that's important doesn't always happen (laughs) (laughs) uh my personal practice you know really my personal practice my 
they're, all my practices are personal, whatever they are, even if they're public, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm just doing my practice. Right. You know, I'm not singing for you. I'm not entertaining. I'm sharing my practice. And so you'd have to say that the most intense moments of practice for me are really with people. Uh, you know, I, I do sing alone at home. I do meditate at times through different techniques, breathing a little asana, a little this, a little that. But really, the moments when I'm singing with people uh, are the most when I've gathered as much of me as possibly can be gathered into the moment. <laughs> so I'm totally dependent on people coming to sing with me. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> that is so cool. How wonderful that you've. That those two, it's an interesting thing that your <clears throat> karma is such that your practice has become this. Uh, I'm. It's something that has made you a super. You're a superstar. You don't. You don't act like it. You're the most humble person ever. Well, I, but in my own mind, I'm a superstar anyway. You I, I are a superstar. You know it's true. I mean, you really are. You are a world famous kirtan. Would you? You know, get rid of this illusion. <laughs> no, it's true. Or transfer it. Your your podcast now what? Eighty thousand downloads a week. He was at the Grammys. Eighty thousand a week. I don't care. He was at the Grammys. Okay, um, and eighty thousand downloads is not the Grammy. Mean, not that there's a hierarchy here, but if we're gonna like, there's <laughs> really compare. not. A, there's not a comparison, man. Or less of a stupid, a stupid, stupid star. star. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. All right, but but here a question: um, What is it that's? What do you think's happening with with this podcast that you've got going? In the last couple of years, you know, you when you wrote to me and said, "Gee, mm-hmm. you guys should be doing a podcast." Ramdas has all this material, and and then I started to tune in, and I see how much consciousness stuff you kind of share. Yes. And what's uh, what motivates you there? What and what do you, what do you think is happening? And some of your audience is here at this retreat. Yep. Uh, well, and you know, kind of in the same way you're talking about how your practice is chanting. I don't really have a practice, but somehow I get fortunate, lucky enough that I get to sit down with people like you. And in the little bit of time I have, I can throw out every single neurosis and hang up that I'm having in relation to my practice and, and get these one-on-one sessions with people who I consider, who are my heroes and uh, who I've listened to forever. So, and then I think people get to hear not so much like a 60 minute style interview. Like when did it start for you? And and that kind of thing, but they actually get to hear a, a sort of neurotic hung up guy work through his shit with super smart awakened people. So I think that's part of what people like about it. Because most of us aren't mm. Ram Das or Krishna Das or Raghu Marcus. Most of us are, are really just sloth slogging through this thing, man. And it's uh and we didn't get a we didn't go to we don't go to India. We don't take trips out into the there's no jungle moment. We don't have a moment in the jungle where a yogi goes into our minds and shows us where our hangups are. We watch forensic files for six hours at a time. 
<laughs> you know? So, so I think that's what the part, I think partially that's why people listen to the podcast is because it's a chance for them to, because uh, they recognize that I'm where they're at or probably a little under that. And it's cool to hear advice, real simple advice, like what you're getting. I mean, not that you're giving advice, but it's cool to hear these questions answer, which is like, how do, what do I, what about smoking marijuana and listening to Kirtan? And also how about the fact that listening to Kirtan does get you high? And I know you were saying that that's not the point, but it really gets you blasted. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, you know, the way I think about it is if a kid is sick and needs to take medicine, you hide the medicine in a sweet syrup. Mm. And the sweetness of the syrup gets the kid to take the medicine. Ah. But the, what's going to cure the disease or the sickness of unhappiness is the medicine that's hidden in the syrup. Mm. So because the music is enjoyable, hopefully, we get, we do this. It, it also keeps us paying more attention and stuff. But it's the name. This is what our guru said over and over. He used to say in Hindi, Ram Nam Karnese, Sub Pura Hojata. It's a very simple phrase, a simple line, but he said it over and over. And it, it means from going on repeating these names like we do when we chant, everything is brought to completion, is made full. It's a ripening process. Mm-hmm. And by doing this practice, we're, we're taking our hearts out into the sun where they can ripen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Do you, do these names where I, I think about Hari Krishna or I think about the chants that I know and I always wonder, was there a point where someone was, where do they start? You know, I, I'm not, scientifically, I'm not exactly sure and historically, I'm not sure, but basically you'd say that there was a saint, a yogi or a being who experienced a full awakening or a kind of awakening and brought it back to this level for us as a way of finding our way out again. In other words, he went out, brought this back, and said, here, do this. This It's just like that. And all these names in India, they call the names of God. But what does that mean? Yeah. What are the gods? We don't even know. But the thing about these names is that they say that through the repetition of the name, the presence that's within you is uncovered. Hmm. It's not something we're getting from the outside, but we're uncovering this presence. It's like if you keep calling someone, calling, eventually they'll hear you and they, and they start to move closer to you. That's an mm. external way of looking at it. When you're calling ourself, we're already here. What we're doing is removing the covers over our own being, over our own hearts. So uh, a, a, an awakened being... opens up and hears this sound it's tricky stuff you know we're talking about stuff that just like we can never really know the meaning of these names intellectually these kind of to talk about that 
the event or what happened yeah. to a being when he's in a completely discontinuous state of mind mm. is is pushing it, you know? Sorry, I, it's just something no, I I'm think not about. No, you're pushing. We're all pushing yeah. it. We can't. It's just like something that's not possible. When I was in liberal arts college, I had, I remember the school guide, I don't know what you call it, one of the school psychologists came out and said, we can invent our own mantras. And I've invented a mantra Okie dokie dokie do, okie dokie dokie do. And I had been chanting Hare Krishna at the time with the Hare Krishnas, and I was at a liberal arts college, so I was a supreme asshole. I was just like, this is bla blasphemy. You can't make up a mantra. There's only one mantra. I was still in that kind of fundamentalist mind state that I'm not anymore, but what about that? Can you just come up with any mantra? Is it possible to invent it yourself? Well, in the sense of mantra being a sound that's repeated, of course. But the thing about the names is that even though there's a storyline involved with most of the names, like Krishna had a, a Leela, did all these things, Ram did all these things, there's stories about Shiva and Kali mm. and Durga, all these things, their nature is what we're talking about the, the the nature of the being that is krishna or ram or kali which is not different than our true nature that's what these names are the names of okay right so yes you can have mantras people would call it a mantra but if there's a concept like if you repeat shri frank j frank j, j frank all day <laughs> You know, everybody named Frank in the universe will start showing up in your life, probably. But but Frank's true nature won't show up in your mind or won't arise in your heart. Right. From chanting these names, which are which are uh, uh, which have been brought to this world from the compassion of the beings that realize the truth, mm. the true nature of these beings and our true nature arises in our in ourself that awareness of that arises mm. inside of us so yes you know people like it's not positive thinking there's nothing wrong with positive thinking i am strong i'm positive i can do it i can accomplish my goals to repeat that over and over again it may give you a sense of strength but because it's conceptual it can't take you beyond concepts Right. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that we're on, definitely on the same page there. It, it seems like there's something very special about them that's hard to put your finger on. Oh, wow. Cool. Can you do you have any just really quick? I know we're probably in a rush. One, do you have time for one more question for the people listening? who want to get into chanting or get into kirtan, can you give any recommendations about what they can read or how they can get going? You know, there's a lot of chanting going around in almost every city in the United States now, around the world. So many people are singing and uh, entering into this practice. You can always find some group to practice with. Uh, if that's too creepy for you, you can go out and buy my CDs. Do mm. not rip them off from the internet <laughs> and uh, chant along with those uh, or somebody else's CDs. I mean, it, it's just a question of getting used to the, used to it. It's a little crazy. It's a little weird. It's a little out there. It's not every day. But w if if and when you do it, if you feel good, trust that. If you don't, then forget it. Right. But if you feel good, then it means that you feel good. And why would you throw that away? If you feel good. So 
you just if you know your life flow will bring it to you if that's what you want you know just keep your eyes open and it'll show up in your life somehow that's what happened to us we didn't we knew even less you see you people your age and people these days are surrounded by this stuff maybe it's not the big saints in india on every corner but there's teachers everywhere there's there's awareness of the dharma everywhere you know you can really there's so many places to go to get a hit uh in those days there was nothing we had to go to india i mean there, it wasn't happening here at the time hmm. so right it's very different now so you don't have to go to india anymore is what well, if you're overweight, you know, and you need to lose some weight, go. You'll know, you'll get dysentery, and you <laughs> shouldn't for weeks, and you'll lose a few pounds. Yeah, that's a good thing. Cool. It's so great chatting with you. Thank you, you so much. Really. I'm going to at this point. We have to recommend because you asked about aside from Krishnadas's music on downloads and CDs. There's his book, which he forgot about, oh. "Chance of a Lifetime," which is really great. C-H-A-N-T-S of a lifetime. And you can go up on Amazon and go through mindpodnetwork.com slash Krishnadas. And there's an Amazon button there. Just click on it and bookmark it. And everything you do through Amazon, a little piece of it will come to Krishnadas and Mindpod. Do you have an audio book? Is it on audio? It's not? That's not. Huh. Huh. Cool. So, yes, there you go. Great. And um, what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to share this, right? Yes. Which is what you're all, you've been sharing all this stuff. And he's really great. He shares. And he can't even stop himself, which is really the same, you know. <laughs> oh, no. It, no, I'm, I just love chatting with you guys. It's just a blast, man. I wish I could say it's because I want to share. Really, there's no altruism. It's just cool talking to folks like you. I'm singing, I'm singing to save my miserable ass. I don't know what anybody else thinks. I don't care. That's, That's cool. I'm singing. That's so everybody cool. Everybody come along. It's no problem for me, but I got to go too. So I got to be doing it. I'm I'm doing my practice. And so, That's, and everybody's invited. Cool. Hare Krishna. Thank you Hare so much. Krishna. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.